Yahweh, thank you for this new day, your day. And this day coming to worship with the family, coming to worship in your house, Father God. Coming with thanks, praise, entering and coming in to the sanctuary to worship you, Father God. To declare your holiness. Oh, Father, thank you for the opportunity for this new day. Thank you for the opportunity to share your word, to be a conduit, to pour your truth, knowledge, and wisdom out to anyone who would have an ear and listen to what's being said, Father. So, you know, I was just doing some tabulation, and don't misunderstand or go the wrong direction with this, please. That... This podcast, again, I will say again, I will repeat, hear me. This is not about me or vaunting of my position, putting myself up better than anyone else. This is just simply being in God's business, my heavenly father's business, period. And he gave this to me, but I am taking, and I don't want to be prideful in it, but been doing this for a while. And the Holy Spirit just showed me this uh, the other day, is that, um, of course, those of you that do math, you know, and can do math, is 365 days a year, plus or minus a couple hours, because we always mess it up. So that's 780 days. Whoops, 700, uh, 800 and, <laughs> I'm 65, give me a break, sorry about that. So you have 365 days, and of course, 6 and 6 is 12, 13, uh, you got to add one. So uh, we're talking about 740 days, I think I did that right, but anyway, and that's how many, I, I do my Lord's podcast every day, I might take a day off, and, and sometimes I take off Sunday because I'm going to church and I'm getting some new information and learning some new things, and and I take Sunday to rest that day up and then come back at it. But then there are times where I've done two or three in a day. I get up really early before it's even light outside. The Holy Spirit has me stirred up as he did this morning, and has been going on and sharing. And then normally during the course of the day, I, I'm not, but I, young Graydon, this is a young man that we have at the church who is a, um, in a position of leadership there, which is awesome. He's a young guy, just a kid, just a child. I think he's about 30 something, but he looks like he's about 12. Sorry, Graydon, you're really a child. Um, but he was sharing the word, and this is and the word he was sharing was really great and awesome, and uh, gave me a different perspective. Um, and we're still in the book of John, which is, man, John, John the Beloved. John, there's a lot of a lot of things that people say about John and those theological wizards and some that have real knowledge 
of theology and have studied and done that. And then there's the theological wizards I've shared with you that those are the individuals that practice to me as I perceive Phariseeism. They get up and they make themselves more authoritative than anyone else because they have that little scrawling piece of rice paper and it has a really nice chicken scratch on it. You can't even read the Count Chancellor's name. Um, and incidentally, when I do calligraphy, I do it good. Sorry, but I do. <laughs> no, I'm not sorry. It's it's something that, that God has allowed me to do and I asked him to help me with it. And it's really awesome is that when I do it, I, I do it legibly and well. And some of these knuckleheads, they get up there and they scratch on it. You can't even tell what it says. They call that presidential signature. So point being that you have these individuals that have this rice paper. It's real pretty to look at, but pretty much that's all it is. That's the only value it has. And the valuation that they put into that and the valuation that others of mammon on this plane of existence put into that as opposed to the value of God and the teaching of God's word and God's way and his truth and knowledge and wisdom, it's pretty sad and pathetic. That's a practice of Phariseeism. And just like the Pharisees tried to do with Jesus, our Lord, the only begotten Son of God, who incidentally... If you read in 1 John, and if you read through the course of the Bible, the Word was with God from the beginning, and the Word was in God, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And through him, all things were created that were created, and it talks about that. We look in, in uh, John, first chapter, we can go in there, and we see, let me flip back over here. I'm in John 9 right now. So we're going to flip back over here, and we're going to go to John 1. And it says right here, the gospel according to John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was nothing, not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Well, let's continue in that vein, shall we? So these individuals decide that they are more knowledgeable of the word than the word. And they're more knowledgeable of the only begotten Son of God. And they know God. And as Jesus tried to tell them and get them to understand, he says, so wait a minute. You read the scrolls and you claim to know God and you claim to know the truth, except, and here I have exceptionally similar to in the book of Revelation except I have aught with you. And that aught would be that you claim to know this, except that here stands the truth and you claim to know the truth, but you don't recognize it. And you claim to know God, but you don't recognize me. And you don't know that I am the only begotten son of God. And from the beginning, I was with God in God and God is in me and we are one. And yet you say, I'm not, you don't recognize me. So... In John chapter 9, we're going to continue in that direction. That means that they are, 
shall we say, sightless. They have no spiritual eyesight. They have physical eyesight. And yet, when Jesus came to the gate, and as chapter nine, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read chapter nine and then we'll kind of, we will kind of do the dissection if that would be all right with y'all. And that's how we're going because the Holy Spirit says to do so. And I'm gonna share some of the stuff that, that Graydon, gosh, I like that kid. I really like him. He's a good young guy. He's funny. And as Jesus said, it's really funny with him because he tries to do things under his breath, but it gets heard and it doesn't work because I'm, I'm like, I'm very close to the stage and podium. I sit there purposely because I watch. I watch and they know I'm watching. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him saying, Master, Rabbi, who did sin? Did this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So let's dissect that a minute. So what they're saying there, what I my perception is in having read the pharisaical yammerings and their they're pointing the finger, they're blame, their accusations and things that they were so, so adept at. Um, because that is, that's very similar to what the Pharisees would say. Oh, his mother and father must have sinned or he sinned, he did something and that's why he's blind. That's why God struck him down. And just like when, um, when Jesus, whenever Jesus healed, <laughs> it seems to be a repeating um, issue for the Pharisees. They always, they want to recite the law of Moses. And let me recite my take on that is number one, it's not the law of Moses. They like to repeat that and they say it often. And I will say it every time I find a passage and says it, it is not the law of Moses. Moses was the carrier of the package that God called him to carry the word to the nation. He was to deliver it. He did not write the law. He did not decide the law. He didn't put it all down. And it had nothing to do with Moses being Moses and writing down this on the Ten Commandments in stone. God came down and with his finger, he wrote in the stone. And then Moses in his attitudinal thing that he did on the side of the mountain, he threw it down and he broke it into bits. Just like when he went out and he didn't listen to what God had told him, said, Moses, touch the stone. Just go out and touch it. That's all I want you to do. Well, Moses had had about enough as his whining and yammering and carrying on by the nation. So what did he do? He went out like he'd been doing all through the desert. And Moses, Moses waited for enough people to be watching him. And then he took the staff and he whacked the rock. In biblical terms, smoked. He smote the stone. That would be the same thing as taking that big old stick and whacking somebody with it. 
Well, that's what he did to the rock. But that's not what God told him to do. God told him to touch the stone. And God would have performed the same thing with them. And the Holy Spirit's talking through my heart right now and, and getting me that the perception that, that he's bringing to me is that the reason that Moses was supposed to just touch it is because he had been striking the stones all the way through the desert, and providing them with water. And now they were there and they were getting ready to finish up and he was going to take them into the promised land. And Moses was supposed to just touch it. Just touch a stone and God was going to deliver. Still, just deliver. And that God's power his might and his authority was with him, ever present with him. And when they were out there and all this hustle, bustle, turmoil and all the things going on that Moses was out there and he was striking things. But this is one of those times, kind of like when he did with Elijah up on the mountain. Told him to go in back into the cave after all that stuff going on outside and he couldn't hear him and he went back in the cave and with his spiritual hearing, he heard the still small voice. Well, God was making, getting Moses to make a point and Moses disobeyed. Moses did what Moses wanted to do because he was sick and tired of all the yammering, whining, and crying that the Israelites were doing and that he'd been hearing for the whole time when they left Egypt. The whole time. They'd get someplace and it was all good. God get all this goody-goody two-shoe stuff like a lot of the naysayers and doom and gloomers talk about now. Everything was beautiful when it's all bluebirds of happiness and everything's coming up roses, but God doesn't promise that. Never promise that. Nowhere in the Bible does it promise that. But yet you have individuals that will be contrary because it's not. Well, brothers and sisters, this is this is pharisaical teaching. And as Jesus walked through and he told his disciples, he said, neither. Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. This happened and he was there and Jesus, God incarnate through man, coming down here as a sacrificial lamb, he was going to do something and he was going to make this thing happen. God was about his business. But the Pharisees, and his disciples had been listening to them all the time, yammering their issue. So in their teaching, must have done something, had to have done something because he's blind. His parents were either sinful or they were doing something they shouldn't have been doing or he did something he shouldn't have been doing. And this is, sadly, this is how their perception of everyone around them is. And you remember what took place on the road to Damascus? I will remind you. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan, which this is a similitude. It means it's somewhat alike, but different. So they all walked around him. They walked away from him and nobody wanted to touch him. Even the high priests, and the Levites who came from the temple who were supposed to be teaching the love of God and how much God loves us and teaching that someday a Messiah will come, someday our Messiah will come, someday our Messiah will come. 
failing to recognize that the Messiah was already there and had already been there. But anyway, Jesus is teaching about the Good Samaritan and the high priests and the Levites who took care of the church or the temple, the synagogue, whatever you want to call it in those days. But they walked around this guy. They wouldn't even touch him because he was unclean because they who had pounded on him were unclean. So therefore, by virtue of that being done, he was now unclean and they couldn't touch him to help him to show him compassion and kindness and love. They couldn't do that because then they would be unclean. Phew-wee. And just like they, they came to Jesus when they tried to hound Jesus about allowing his disciples to put food in their face without washing their hands. And Jesus gave them another parabolic lesson and they didn't get that either talking about the whitewashing and all that was done, which is what they did a lot of times in the, in the buildings. They weren't, they weren't all white polished marble. That some of them were whitewashed. Clean and white and pretty outside, which is what they were concerned about, what individuals could see, which is exactly what their spirit was. And Jesus tried to teach them through that in that parable, and they didn't get it. They didn't get or understand that he was talking about them and not the temple out that people went to pray, but the temple that they were supposed to be. They were so worried about what it looked like, it didn't care anything about their heart. And I've shared that with you, that God is a respecter of no man or woman. He doesn't care how you look. He doesn't care how you dress. He doesn't care how you smell. He didn't care about any of that. That is all superficial. That's all temporary, temporal. That's all what we see here physically. What he cares about is the heart. He cares what is in the heart. He cares what is in your heart. It's just like I shared a couple parables with you, that story of the young man and the two dogs. And what my mentor had shared that the nature that beats within our chest, two natures beat within my chest. One I love dearly, the other I detest. So which one grows? Which one do you feed best? And just like the parables did here and, and the his own disciples were getting this and, and Jesus teaching them and, and continually further in verse four, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. What did Jesus mean in that? That's that is prophetic word from our Lord Jesus. And you need to get into the word and you need to go in and you need to dig for this and the Holy Spirit will give this to you. That there is a time coming. I've already been in it, so I've already been brought and shown this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna share it with you and you find it as well. We read some of this in the book of Revelation. But Jesus is talking about the time and we do this when we still have light. But there's gonna come a day there is coming a day 
when no man can do that work because it's going to be very, very dark. Continue to have that light shine out within you. No matter what, that is what we are called for. We are called to be in spiritual warfare and we are called to be warriors. We are called and given not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of strength and courage because God tells us to be so. Have I not commanded you to be of good courage? Be not afraid nor dismayed. For I, Hashem, the Lord thy God, am with you whithersoever thou goest. I will be with you. Put on my whole armor. I made this for you. My breastplate of righteousness so that you can stand up boldly. The shield of faith that you will suffer the arrows and the darts that come with fire from the enemy and that you have the sword of truth and that you have your feet be shod when you walk and you share that you are prepared because you have studied my word, my truth and you are prepared in the gospel and the helmet of salvation so that my only begotten son who I sent for you we were thinking of you when he came when I sent him manifest as man coming to die as your sacrificial lamb this I say to you seek my face be in my truth, be in my knowledge, be in my wisdom. For this I say to you in love. You are my children. Selaman. Ufa. Okay, brothers and sisters, that happens on occasion. So Jesus is talking here, further reading in verse 5, John 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay, let's flip back over here. We're going to digress now. I'm going to flip a couple pages. Oops, sorry. A couple pages and go back to John. First chapter of John. And we're going to read... In verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. This is a problem that the Pharisees had because they were wandering around in darkness so much. They were always concerned about all those things that were manifesting outwardly around them. And they were confused by the light and just what it just exactly what it says in John there when, when Jesus showed up and John says, oh, behold the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb of God whose sandals I am not fit to latch. Well, this is earthly cousin. Remember, Mary was related to Elizabeth. And when Mary came pregnant with Jesus, Elizabeth married with John, the baptizer. And when they came close to hug, oh, John took a jump. Wasn't just a kick and moving around. He leapt in her. She said he felt him leap. As long as I am in the world, I am 
the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now, Graydon made an interesting thing here that Jesus was not just going to heal this guy. He was making something. He was making the hand and might of God, this spittle that came from him. He anointed his eyes. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is interpreted, translated, that word, Jesus probably speaking Aramaic. He anointed him and then he sent him. Whoa. Graydon pointed this out and I, I read over this and sort of missed this. First he anointed him and then he sent him. Did not this very same thing Jesus do with the disciples? And does he not do this with us? He anoints us, he calls us, and we are anointed to do that thing which he has called us to do. And then he sends us to do this which he has called us to do. He has anointed us and sent us to be about our Father's business, which is what I am about and which I will always be about until the day that I am either called home by my father or when they come and lay hands to me and try to imprison me to silence me, doesn't matter because I'm about my father's business. It doesn't matter to me. And brothers and sisters, I am praying that your strength be bold, courageous, and upright and that it does not matter to you either. Some will give in and they will give up. I pray that I am neither my strength, my spirit, my Lord, my God, that you are with me always, no matter where I go. Doesn't matter if they take me in prison. It doesn't matter if they chain me up. My Lord, be forbidden, but I see these days coming, just what Jesus was talking about. We gotta do this while it's still light because the days of darkness are coming. I may not be here when it happens, but if I am, then I am strong and that light shines out in me because it is the light of my Lord in me. Whew. Getting really wound up here. John, thank you. Be nice to see you when I get there. Further reading verse seven, and said unto him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam. He anointed him and he sent him. He washed and came seeing. Well, this is, this is not, well, this is really powerful. This is even a different perception of this than, than Graydon was sharing because I'm seeing something the Holy Spirit is showing me something. Wow. So is this not what takes place many times as, as a disciple and a uh, learning through Jesus Christ and, and dare say that, 
I don't want to jump ahead and become arrogant, but in that, um, that it would be possible to be an apostle, an apostle. And that when Jesus sends us out in discipleship, that we go and that we are teaching and interpreting the word. And yet we come away with seeing new perspective and that possibly in teaching that he alters our perspective to be more like his perspective and we see through the eyes of the Lord and not ourselves. And he, and he sent him to watch and he came seeing. <clears throat> the neighbors, therefore, they which before had seen him, that he was blind, said, is this not he that was sitting at the gate begging? Some said, this is he. Another said, just like him, but I don't think so. Because a guy that we know is blind. But he told him, he said, I am he. I'm the guy that you saw sitting by the gate. I'm the one. Not like him. I'm the guy. Further in verse 10, therefore said they unto him, how were thine eyes opened? And he said, a man that is called Jesus. Right there is, whew, right there is really good for me. But it goes further. Jesus wants to teach us more. And he answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes. And then he said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. And then, of course, what he's talking about is that uh, you had Pharisees. They were talking, they said up here in the verse John wrote about neighbors being those that were standing around him and being around him. And recited his testimony to them. But then the Pharisees were really getting on board here. They brought to the Pharisees him that afore time was blind. And it was a Sabbath day. When Jesus made the clay and opens his eyes, oh, this is this is this is so so typical of Mammon. They always wanted to make a big production about what Jesus had done on the Sabbath day, and understand this too. I've I've mentioned this before, and I'm going to say it again: that all this hubbub that the Pharisees made about the Sabbath day, it wasn't anywhere written. As a law, the nation was just told to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Was not Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the holy sacrificial Lamb of heaven that came? And he came because he was holy and he came to make us holy so that we could be. But yet, they didn't look at it that way because they weren't following the scripture. They instead, they made the rule and they decided to make the law that nobody could do anything on the Sabbath day. And Jesus kept reminding them and said, wait a minute. 
if you're, because of your position and your desire of one of your prize animals fell into a pit and for want of not having it become injured, would you not on the Sabbath day get your neighbors and come and take it out? And if one of you had a flock of sheep and you saw that one count was missing, would you not leave your 99 and go out to find the lost sheep on the Sabbath? Which of you being of good character and good, which of you would not do that? But they all tried to make a big production of it. Okay, further reading in verse 14. And it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. Notice what it says there. He already told them once, but they weren't listening. They weren't seeing, they weren't hearing. So they asked him again. He said unto them, he put clay upon mine eyes and I washed and do see. So now he's getting kind of a little sing-songy there because he already told them what happened. And then they asked him the same thing again. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. And others jumped on and said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? He sins because he didn't keep the Sabbath day like we told him to do. And we, of course, are higher in authority because we know stuff and he doesn't know stuff. Doesn't matter that he's the only God, son of God, the Holy of Holies, Yeshua Man, Hoseana. Doesn't matter if that he's one with God and he's the truth. He didn't keep the Sabbath like we said he's supposed to. Further, and there was a division among them. <laughs> Go figure. Sanhedrin, there was always something going on back and forth. Didn't agree with this, didn't agree with that. There was always something they were going to argue and find contention about. And they said unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him? That he hath opened thine eyes? He is a prophet. And remember in this day, back in that day, prophets were not seers of future events. Some were, some were anointed, especially of God, but prophets were the uh, teachers in the church and the synagogue. They were the ones who presented the scroll reading and, and all those things. They were the ones that were called, and that's what they used to call them, the prophets. And remember in... Um, Revelation, Jesus talking to John and calling them prophets, calls them the angel, angels of the churches, and same thing. Now, further reading in verse 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents of him that had received his sight. So they thought he was making stuff up. And they asked them, saying, is this your son, whom you say was born blind? How then does he now have sight? How does he now see? 
Now they're shaking their heads and they're, I can imagine that they're a little bit distraught with the Pharisees and they're kind of, you know, the Pharisees bring this stuff on themselves because they go out and they bob and they weave when you see them out in the marketplace or doing all this stuff. And then they, they come now with their haughty attitude and they want to push people around. They wear certain things. So when they go through the market that they're recognized and seen. So when they go in the temple that they're recognized and seen. And when they put their coins in the coin box, they have the big trumpet on the top so that when they put the coin in that they're heard and seen. So the Pharisees are all about what they are receiving of mammon. Remember what Jesus tells us about that. You have received your reward. So, further reading, verse 19. And they asked him, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents, I'm quite sure, they rolled their eyes, and they just looked at him and shook their head. His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes? We know not. He's of age. Ask him. He shall speak for himself. He's an adult. He's grown up. He can vote. He didn't like you any more than we do. Ask him. He's going to tell you. He's grown up. Further in verse 22, these words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was a he was Christ. He should be put out of the synagogue. So they didn't want to be tossed. They didn't want to be tossed. They didn't want their son to be tossed. They didn't want all this stuff to happen because if Pharisees were actually really, they were troublemakers. They weren't, they weren't really men of God. They weren't even trying to be men of God. They were just worried about being themselves. They were worried about their, their vaunted authority that they had. They were very, they were more worried about their arrogant positions than anything else. Further, verse 23, therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. <laughs> now they're trying to pull the holier than now attitude on him. We know you praise God. We know that this guy though, that claims to be the son of man and has used that term, we know he's a sinner and he's a liar. And we know he's a sinner. And he answered them and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that whereas I was blind and now I see. Then said they to him again, what did he to thee? What did he to thee? How open he thine eyes? And I'm sure by now he's rolling his head and just shaking his head back and forth and rolling his eyes. And he's saying, he answered them, I have told you already and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? <laughs> That's a little interesting turn, kind of miss until just now. See how, and sometimes the disciples were even that way. They were a little derisive and dismissive with one another and outward. And as they did with that first thing over here, when they were first asked him, he said, so who sinned, Jesus? Did he sin or did his parents sin? Is why he was blind. Wasn't either one. Then they reviled him and said, thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. Who? That makes him better than anybody else? 
because they don't speak truth, because they speak about the law of Moses as opposed to the law of God that Moses just delivered. He was a delivery guy, but no. We are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. Oh, wait a minute. They were there when Moses came down off the mountain and threw the Ten Commandments? No, they were reading about it. They weren't there. But it says here, we know that God spake to Moses as for his, this fellow. We know not from whence he is, except that he told them. And they didn't want to pay attention to the scriptures, the words of the prophets that told them who he is was, is, and will be. The man answered and said unto them, why herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. He's just telling them, you're worried about where he came from? The guy did a miracle. This man, that, and I told you, I told you first, his name is Jesus. He spit in the mud and he anointed my eyes and then he told me, he sent me to wash my eyes. And then I came and I could see. And you're worried more about this petty, basically what he's saying, and he, he didn't come out word and say it, but he may as well have. You're worried about all this pettiness, but you're not worried about the miracle of Jesus himself. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a whisperer, a worshiper of God, and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou was altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. So, their arrogance... They're looking down on others. This man was trying to tell him, said, hey, he is who he is. He is who he said he was, and he did this thing. And now you want to say he is not? And then they got agitated with him trying to correct him, just like they did with Jesus. They were so caught up in their arrogance. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found him, he went and looked for him. When he heard what the Pharisee did, he went and he sought this man out and he found him. And he said unto them, dost thou believe on the son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, thou hast both seen him and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and they that would see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, if you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remaineth. That kind of puzzled me a little bit there. But what it's speaking of is just speaking of the judgment, the judgmentalism of the pharisaical practice 
practice of Phariseeism that they are continually in, that they are trying to decide that they can see, pardon me, that they can see and make judgment against mammon, others of mammon, and that they are able to do that. And what they're doing, and they can't see their own folly. They can't see that. But they can see that they are better than others and they put themselves in that position. But they're still full of sin, filthy sin. And they won't change it. They refuse to change it. And instead, what they did, they chose to take the word that was with God from the beginning, the truth, the only begotten Son of God, that they chose to take him and crucify him. Because they saw themselves to be judges. Ah, brothers and sisters, let us be very, very cautious. This is very powerful. Thank you, Graydon. Nice word. But remember this, that we have to take ourselves off the judgment seat because that is not our authority. That's not our place. That place is for Lord only. Our Lord only. Because when we try to assume that position, then we usurp the authority, the sovereignty of God Almighty, our Lord and King. Can't do that. So brothers and sisters, I pray on my going out, my coming in daily for you. Have a blessed rest of the day. Goodness gracious, it's only one o'clock, one thirty in the afternoon, almost one thirty. So brothers and sisters, I pray for you. Pray for me. There's things that are going on that I need prayer for. Lord is coming and things are straightening out in this temporal plane of existence that I'm in. It is by his authority and his love and his power. Thank you, brothers and sisters. Thank you, Ava Yahweh. So, Lord, come and heal this nation. Guard and strengthen my brothers and sisters to keep them upright, bold, and courageous. Yahweh Aman. Eshu Aman. Parakletos Aman.